Life After Stroke is a production of the Hang On to the Dream Foundation, the 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps kids and adults reach their goals in life. If these Life After Stroke programs are helpful to you, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Hang On to the Dream Foundation to assist the organization in its numerous outreach activities. For more information, just go to www.hangontothedream.org. And remember, no matter how hard things seem, hang on to the dream. The following is a recorded program of an actual stroke support group. The comments expressed are the personal opinions of the participants and not necessarily the opinions of the producers, sponsors, or the broadcasters of this show. This program is not to be used as a way to diagnose or treat any medical condition that you may have. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional before making any changes to your current medical routine. Stroke. 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 It comes out of the blue, sometimes without warning. But those who survive it should never lose hope. A stroke can be life-changing. But it is also a new beginning. Because for all survivors, there is still a beautiful life after stroke. Hey everybody, welcome to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing. Today we're broadcasting from Home Base, which is Providence St. Joseph's Medical Center in Burbank, California. And I think this is our first show since the new year and the new season and the gang's here. Hey everybody, you guys good? All right, all right. This is good. This is good. Well, we have quite a few shows that are going to be coming up over the next couple of weeks. So uh, for those of you that have been going through life after stroke withdrawal, I'm sure you haven't. But uh, um, <laughs> but I know a lot of you guys all around the world look forward to our shows. And, uh, you know, we, we hold our support group, as you know, uh, here at the hospital. And we hold it every Thursday here in uh, Burbank, California, uh, from 11 to 1. So if you're ever in the area, you can always stop by. And... Um, but, you know, for, we always have a have a support group, and so we just kind of sometimes don't record. We just kind of like to sit around and piss and moan and complain and cry and laugh and everything all by ourselves without it being broadcast all around the world. But, uh, but today I thought uh, it would be a really cool thing to have a show because we've got a couple of guest speakers that are going to be with us today, one of which is here right now, and uh, the other one that will be coming up uh, soon. Um, so our first guest today is Jody. Demberser Gross. Did I say it right? You did. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm shocked. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jody Demberser Gross. She is a certified speech language pathologist who uh, is here with us to kind of give us some pointers and some tips on how to get our speech kicked back into gear following a stroke and things like that. Uh, she has come highly recommended by uh, one of our members of the gang here, Gina and Mark. Uh, as you guys may uh, recall from a previous episode, Mark had a stroke, what, three months ago, Mark? Four months ago? Three months? Six. Oh, no. Is it that long? Oh, my gosh. Man, time flies. It is crazy. It is just crazy. Well, man, I told you, we'd be laughing about this. And you just look great. You sound great. I mean, you're back to work. You're living life. You know, yeah. thank God. You're not laughing yet? Well, you, you keep us laughing, so that's all that matters. We don't uh, care yes, how you... <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly, exactly. Well, man, you've got that great smile. It just, you know, it's, it's just been great to have you here, and uh, everybody listening, you can listen to a previous episode to hear how Mark didn't want to be here. He was kicking and screaming the whole time his wife was wanting to sign him up to come and be a part of our support group, and 
now uh now I hear you can't keep him away and if even if he did try to stay away we'd we'd come to his house <laughs> you just can't get rid of us man we love you too much so but um gina and mark are the ones that came across miss jody over here and um jody why don't you brag a little bit kind of uh, tell everyone a little bit about your okay. background and all that kind of good stuff okay so i've been a speech language pathologist for about seven and a half years it's not my first career this is now my uh, actually my third career well now i gotta ask you what you do before I was a chiropractor for 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Had to stop because I had kids and because I was a caregiver for my parents. My mm. mother got lung cancer oh, and sorry. my stepdad got Alzheimer's. Mm, sorry. So I was the main caregiver. Mm -hmm. So you can't do all those things at mm -hmm, one time. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Uh, I homeschooled, and then I um, became a teacher because an opportunity fell into my lap. I didn't enjoy that very much, uh, but I substitute taught, and I substitute taught in special education classrooms because mm. there's a great need, and most subs will never go into those classrooms. Mm. But I found that it was a way to get a lot of work, and by doing that, um, I met speech pathologists who came in and worked with, take a group of kids aside and work with them. So I began to ask them a lot of questions mm -hmm. about that. And then at the same time, I came across a, uh, like a midlife career change mm -hmm. kind of a workshop. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they said when I, when I attended it was that careers in rehab were going to be huge for the next, you know, indefinite number of years. So I, I looked into all of them, PT, OT, and speech. And PT and OT are a little too physical. I have had some back issues. Mm -hmm. So I looked into speech some more, and I thought, wow, I really like this. Mm. If I can help someone who can't communicate say, I love you mm -hmm. to a loved one, that would be just the most amazing thing. Boy, and what a great heart you have, <laughs> Jody. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just your whole working career has been about helping people and, and just giving of yourself. And yeah. that's so wonderful. Yeah. So I really enjoy it. This is mm. I love this career and don't intend on ever retiring unless mm. I physically or mentally can. Sure, but sure. Um, I really enjoy what I do. Mm. Would have been some of the real heartwarming uh, experiences oh. that you've had, some of the real just awesome breakthroughs of you helping someone get their speech back? Well, it's so I work with swallowing too. Mm. And I had I had a child, uh, well, starting with a little, I, I work with kids sometimes also, mm -hmm. mostly adults, but I had a little boy who's on the spectrum mm -hmm. and he had no language. And if I got within five feet of him he just scream mm. and tantrum and I saw him in his home and I saw him for several months and when they turn three they're not eligible for regional services anymore mm. so on his third birthday his mom invited me to come and I got down on the floor eye level and I put my hand out, and he actually came and touched my hand. Mm. 
and um, he spoke. He he. I wouldn't say he spoke sentences, but he did say hello. He started to speak words, and that was the first time. So that was that was really heartwarming. I've had another woman who had she's had two strokes, lost her ability to swallow, could not move her tongue, couldn't swallow. And I was able to get her off her G-tube so that she could enjoy, although soft chopped, but she was able to go from puree to soft chopped in her first Thanksgiving dinner since she'd had a stroke. And that was huge. And she's, she's had a lot of, a lot of complications, but um, I was able to get her an augmentative speech device, a speech mm. generating device, so that at least now she has functional speech. That my, my big thing is with communication disorders, there's, they're hidden disorders. You know, if you see someone in a wheelchair, you know there's a handicap. People are generally kind and patient. Communication disorders, you can't see. Sure. And unless you have the confidence, it so undermines people co- people's confidence when they can't speak that they isolate. Mm-hmm. And the isolate, isolation feeds the depression. So it's really hard to bring people out of their shell. So that's really my whole cause is get you out of isolation get out because to improve with speech you have to use speech mm-hmm. that is so deep jody because over here is dr parker everybody knows dr parker who has listened to the show and you've met him earlier and, and heard about his incredible uh, background in terms of being a professor at rutgers mm-hmm. and having his phd in in education and in language and he had a stroke. Your stroke was about nine or ten years ago, Dr. Uh, Parker? Ten years ago. Ten years Two ago. Two strokes in one day. Yeah. Oh. He had one uh, in the parking lot at the coffee house, and then they called 911, got him to the hospital, and he had a second stroke in the hospital a f- uh, number of hours later. Um, the reason why I bring you up, Dr. Parker, is for everybody that listens uh, to the show, you may recall a few episodes ago where Dr. Parker had um gina did you warn miss jody that i'm a crier <laughs> did you just i mean i've been fighting the tears during the autism thing i fought the tears during the stroke thing and and i was i was okay now i'm turning in the corner with dr parker now and, you know i just love dr parker but um dr parker brought up something a few episodes ago and it just really kind of broke my heart um he mentioned that he doesn't like to talk on the phone he likes mm-hmm. to text everybody and um, and the way that this came about is because, uh, as everybody that listens to the show knows, uh, Dr. Parker's written a number of books and a number of poems. And so after one of the episodes of the show, he wanted me to um, hear one of his poems. And so I said, OK, well, read it to me. And he was and he was a little shy about reading it to me, but he read it to me. And we weren't on the air at the time. And, and I decided I wanted to tape it while he read it. So we taped it. And then later he said, um, he goes, I usually uh, I usually don't read my poems. And mm-hmm. I said. Why? Because you don't like to read them? Because you don't like to read the works that you've made? Or you don't like to you know, audibly read them? Or what? He goes, no, I don't like to read them myself. And I said, why? He says, because of my speech. And he said that he also doesn't like to speak on the phone with people. He likes to text. 
And I said, well, why is that? And he said, because he doesn't want to feel self-conscious about keeping people waiting while he gets his words together mm. and things like that. And I told him, I said, well, Dr. Parker, if you're talking to anybody on, you know, if you got a friend that can't wait those couple extra minutes, you don't need to be talking to him anyway. But it just all just kind of broke my heart because I was like, I mean, first of all, I love this man and everybody here loves him. And like, Dr. Parker, if you got something to say to anybody, they need to take their time and just sit there and wait for you to get it together. You have nothing to be ashamed about. And we've talked about this. So this is my long-winded way of getting back to what Jody just mentioned. She was pretty much just speaking. And I know you're over there nodding your head, you know, with everything she was saying, you know, share a little bit about your thoughts, feelings, concerns about what she was just talking well, about. Uh, yes. I, I, I know what I'm going to say. I couldn't swallow. I had the feeling to for uh, six weeks. And then I uh, 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 the doctors did some tests on my swallowing mm-hmm. and said, yes, you can swallow, but only with half your throat. Hmm. Because the other side of your throat, throat. and the vocal cords were paralyzed, paralyzed from the stroke. Right. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Parker, how, so how long was it until you could swallow? Was that what was six weeks as to why? They uh, yes, uh, mm-hmm. about six weeks. Hmm. And then had you gotten your speech back by then at all or no? No. Hmm. How long did it take for your speech to come back? Just the ability to speak. Hang on. I, uh, uh, Amy Bone. She's the speech speech pathologist Mm -hmm. at uh, Huntington Hospital here in Pasadena. Had uh, worked with me, uh, uh, I think, a month. Mm -hmm. So that uh, six weeks, I could speak. uh, uh, Well, I, uh, no, I, not, that's all. I. Oh, one word. I. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Then the second week, uh, she said I could. And I uh, got the I could. Hmm. Uh, the third week, she said I could not. Hmm. Now, in terms of what Miss Jody was just talking about in terms of, you know, feeling kind of self-conscious about speaking and, and you know, um, talk a little bit about that, Dr. Parker. I didn't want to see anyone. Yeah. Hmm. That's common. Uh, uh, only Joe. And now His wife. my wife has passed away. Uh uh, she's been gone four years. Mm. 
Well, you know, and and Jody, we're going to let you get into um, your program here because you've got a lot of paperwork, you know, that you brought in for us to go over and look at and um, things like that. But, you know, on the subject of someone like Dr. Parker, who is, aw- first of all, just an awesome guy, smart, obviously, learned, educator. Uh, I mean, my goodness. Um, it's a shame that stroke, in the midst of taking away you know, your mobility in many cases and things like that. Um, and then in people like him that had had a left brain stroke, you know, yeah. knocks out your speech, but then it just knocks out your self-esteem. It knocks oh. out your ability to even, like you said, if you could just get somebody to say, I love you to a loved one, you know, things like that. Um, talk Simple a little bit about things. that. So, so, um, so I, Everyone here's had a stroke. Did everybody get speech therapy right away? Did you get, you got it right mm-hmm, away? Mm-hmm. You got it I right did, away? Yeah. Oh, you didn't need Cassie it, didn't okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So what I think I'll do then is I will skip to talking about, so Okay, everybody knows the difference between speech and language, right? You know Mm. the difference? Speech is the actual sounds that come out of your mouth, but language is the ideas. It's the words to express what you're thinking. So Mm -hmm. there's a difference. Some people, the stroke will take their speech away, but they still have the mm. language. They mm. may have other ways of communicating. Um, for some people, the stroke takes all of that away. Mm-hmm. So there's, it all depends a lot of how much, what the disabilities that you're left with has everything to do with where the stroke was, the extent of of the time between when it happened and the time of the, that you got some medical intervention mm-hmm. it's there's just it's really multifactorial that affects you know what kinds of problems you're going to be left with mm-hmm. i lost my ability to sing i was a professional singer mm. so i guess my loss was in the language area because I couldn't, and I, right now I'm having trouble finding my words, I couldn't find pitch. So uh, that must be the okay. language area, I'm okay. assuming, instead of the speech, because I could always speak like this. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting, um, because a lot of that rhythm and pitch is a lot of that's on the right side, in the right hemisphere. In fact... There's a technique called melodic intonation therapy. It's part of music therapy. And I have used it um, with a couple of people to help them get their words back by playing music, tapping in their left hand because the fibers cross going up into the brain and it activates the rhythm. You know, language is very rhythmic. And and so um, I had a lady mm, about a month ago. She'd had a stroke, and she could understand. Her comprehension was great, 
but she couldn't speak at all. She couldn't hmm. even, even automatic speech, which is stuff that's overlearned, like counting the alphabet. She didn't even have that. Unbelievable. And so I found out through her family what her favorite songs were. And I started playing the music and I'd play music before and then I'd take one or two lines of lyrics and um, I would begin to intone them as I said them and while tapping in her left hand. And we were able to get back. She got all of her automatic speech back. Wow. Um, and was beginning to do some functional things like, hello, how mm-hmm. are you? How was your day? Um, the sad thing was, so I, I'll, let me backtrack a minute. Mm-hmm. So I, my company that I work for, Vital Speech and Swallow, has a contract with um, a group of houses. There, it was Care Meridian. It, they now go by the name Neuro Restorative, and they have it's like subacute care, and so we get people there. They've just been dumped out of the hospital, but they still need twenty-four hour nursing and full rehab. So this lady had come there. That's how I came to work with her. And um, unfortunately, it's a rather expensive place, and her insurance ran out. And uh, Good old insurance. She got discharged. Mm. And so I made a lot of recommendations for her family. I even copied off what I could find about melodic intonation technique and tried to teach her kids who were then going to take care of her. But, you know, this is I'm constantly running up against this. Mm. It takes a long time. It takes practice. It takes follow through. And I feel pretty confident that I could have gotten her speaking some more had we been able to continue. But a lot of insurances won't recognize melodic intonation therapy. And and that's a big, a huge problem. And there aren't a lot of practitioners doing it. I will say that. So there's not a lot of medical speech pathologists in private practice and then of those, even fewer, and I don't even know where they are other than me, um, that do this technique. Um, mm. So it's, it's a little hard. I went through about 18 pages of my uh, National Association directory trying to find practitioners that I could even list here for you guys mm-hmm. because I'm all the way in Tarzana. Mm-hmm. And even though, I mean, it's nice to, you know, get business, but I want people to be able to access people uh, wherever they are. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find anybody. You know, isn't it amazing? Don't you wish the insurance companies would just listen sometimes? And just, you know, what a concept. You know, if they just listen to the professionals that are out there in the trenches doing the work, you know, 
who knows? They might even learn something in terms of some cost-saving measures that maybe professionals have implemented that might actually save the insurance company's money, which is what their whole goal is, obviously. Um, and it actually might benefit the patient at the same time. What a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you this. You know, mm-hmm. Let's go back a couple minutes. You mm-hmm. were talking about the tapping into your hand. Uh-huh. Um, explain the importance of that, please. So tapping into the left hand, for you tap one syllable at a time. Mm-hmm. And anything you say, you sort of intone, like, how are you today? How are you today? Okay, so with every word you just said, you tapped into your hand into, at the same time. Exactly, with every syllable. With, okay. And... It sends messages to the rhythmic side of the brain. There's actually a small language part in the right hemisphere as well. But it picks up on the rhythmicity of language. And why is that tapping important? Is that kind of sending yet another signal that this is happening at this time so that... Yeah, you're using mm -hmm. another modality. Mm -hmm. They know from the research that as many modalities that can be used Mm -hmm. to help produce speech is helpful. So that's why. Got it, got it. Well, you know, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, uh, Miss Jody here is going to walk us through all kinds of wonderful exercises. Um, I know many of you that listen all around the world who have been through a stroke may have speech uh, difficulties following your stroke. And the reason Jody is here is, is to help us walk us through it and get our tongue a-working and our mouth a-going and just get us all back on the verbal road again. So um, everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. Life After Stroke is brought to you by Audible. With over 180,000 audiobook titles from new releases to bestsellers, you can listen to Audible on your computer, iPhone, Android, or Kindle whenever and wherever you want. Plus, just for being a listener of Life After Stroke, our friends at Audible are giving you a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial of their service to get your free audiobook. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash life after stroke. That's audibletrial.com forward slash life after stroke. Hey, this is Christopher Ewing. And if you live in the Los Angeles area, don't miss the 2020 Abilities Expo. February 21st through the 23rd at the LA Convention Center in Los Angeles. The Abilities Expo is a nationwide trade show dedicated to highlighting products geared to those who may have a physical disability or motor function impairment. Abilities Expo brings exhibitors from around the world all under one roof, allowing visitors to see up close some of the wonderful products that are out there that can help make life easier. Admission to the Abilities Expo is free, and the Life After Stroke radio show will be broadcasting throughout the entire weekend from the StrokeChannel.tv booth, so be sure to stop by and say hi. I'd love to meet you guys. And if you live outside the Los Angeles area, the Abilities Expo is held all across the country, so chances are it'll be coming to a city near you. So just go to www.abilities.com for upcoming expo dates and for more information. And I look forward to meeting you at the upcoming Abilities Expo February 21st through the 23rd at the LA Convention Center in Los Angeles.
Hey everybody, welcome back to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing. Today we're broadcasting from Providence St. Joseph's Medical Center, which is our home base here in Burbank, California. And with us right now is a special guest. Her name is Jody Demberser-Gross. She is a certified speech-language pathologist. And you are in the, what, Tarzana? I'm in the Tarzana, Tarzana area. Tarzana, California yeah. area. And we'll have contact information for her and stuff like that. She is totally awesome. And we just love her already. And she's part of the team. And there's nothing she can do about it because she's got all this great information. Um... You know, kind of take us back a little bit. Um, I know uh, during the break you had mentioned that you wanted to address something that one would not normally think would fall under uh, speech of, under speech pathologist, um, but you wanted to talk about depression. Um, yes. Talk a little bit about that. Okay, so, well, it's a life-changing event for sure. Um, family roles get turned upside down. Uh, you friends back away um you get isolated many people lose their jobs um and people begin to isolate more and more and it seems to they feed each other the depression feeds the isolation Mm. the isolation feeds the depression it's most common the first year after the stroke and I bring it up as, as a really, really important thing because it can really slow down rehab. Now, let me stop you for a minute. When you say it's really common within the first year, mm-hmm. is that biologically? Uh, is there just, or is it just like, man, I had a stroke, this sucks? You know, that um, kind of thing. Oh, it's, it can be what they call biochemical mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. the stroke changes the, the brain chemistry, chemistry of your brain. Of mm-hmm, your brain. Mm-hmm. And it's situational as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we like to think of ourselves as healthy and mm-hmm. capable and having a stroke just absolutely knocks that out of the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, it knocks out all our social connections. Mm-hmm. If you can, and then if you add to that that you can't eat. Yeah, right. Um, and eating is also very social and, and so all of these things happening to somebody at one time or any one of those things, even if you have speech, but you can't eat other than puree, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, eating so pleasurable. So then you can't go out to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, you just think of all the myriad of ways that it affects your life, your mm-hmm. independence. Have they kind of traced as to whether there's a difference um, as to whether you've had a left brain stroke or a right brain stroke as to which would be more likely to cause depression or anything like that? Not to my knowledge. And certainly a right brain stroke, if it's a bad one, will will cause a lot of problems. But boy, communicating. Just to be, I, I would say, if I had to guess, and I don't have any hard facts, behind it i'd have to say losing your speech and language is probably the worst i mean you can't even say i'm cold close Mm -hmm. the window i need to use the restroom yeah simple basic everyday needs you you can't get met yeah you know and i'm going to shout out to all of my fellow stroke brothers and sisters out there who find themselves locked in i think being locked in oh. would just be the toughest. And my heart goes out to every last one of you that um, are listening to this because I know you can hear it. Um, if you're listening, it, you just might not be able to 
say amen to it or yeah that's me or anything else mm-hmm. because of your situation but um you know just know that uh my heart goes out to you guys and i love you guys and and um you know this is kind of on the heels of what you were saying about how tough something would be um you know i think certainly being locked in would be real tough um you know i'm always fascinated with the fact that you know this you know when you have a left brain stroke it's nine times out of ten going to knock out your speech um unless you are left-handed. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Well, it's because the fibers cross. So when mm-hmm. you have a left-sided stroke, it will typically knock off speech and language because they are mostly in the left hemisphere. Right. And then the fibers cross, so you get this right-side paresis, weakness. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I've noticed is, and this is something that another doctor had shared with me, that if you are left-handed and you have a left brain stroke, it will not affect your speech. No. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I think that is absolutely, and I've actually met, we met, I know John's like, wow, that's amazing. Um, We met someone here at the hospital, and I was told this prior to meeting this person. uh, One of the patients here was wheeled into our support group, and I met her, and... and, uh, she had a left brain stroke. Her right side was paralyzed, but her speech was perfect. And I said, wow, it's amazing. You had a left brain stroke and your speech is so good. I said, you must be left-handed. She said, yeah. And, and, yeah, and it was, I, hadn't ac- I hadn't come across yes, that. Yes, it is amazing. One of, <laughs> an, another doctor friend of mine was the one that told me that because I had made the statement you know, about how I've met so many left brain stroke survivors and almost all of them had some type of mm-hmm. speech problem. Um, and he said, yes, but if you ever meet one that is left-handed, they won't have that problem. And Did he give you an explanation? He, yeah, because uh, <laughs> he used to work in a hospital. Uh, and it, Shout out to Dr. Tan. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, actually, my pastor at the church, too. Um, he, um, he said it's only in a very small percentage, like, like less than 5%. So it's very, very rare. So it's not like every person that oh. has a left brain stroke that is left-handed will experience right. that. But... It's it's a very small percentage. He said there's some, like you said, a wire that just crosses over, and for whatever reason, it doesn't affect them. I mean, just some just some of the other crazy things about the brain, you know? Yeah, so uh, really Any, amazing. Anybody here have a right, right side stroke, a right CVA? Because that has very different kinds of symptoms. Yeah, my, I had a, a, a um, hemorrhagic stroke on the right side of my on brain. On the right mm-hmm. side, so... I'm guessing that you might have had some perceptual problems. Um, not perceptual. The thing that is really kind of uh, still with me is um, my face is still numb on the left side. Uh, mm. uh, like I left the dentist about two hours ago. So uh, it's not <laughs> fully numb, but it's, you know, not fully unnumb. Uh-huh. Um, and the numbness from even still to this day is literally straight down the exact center of my body. So if you were to draw a line, I mean, and they said that, you know, one operates one side, the other, I mean, to the millimeter. Well. I mean, it is literally a numbness line that's faint, but I can feel it even as I'm talking about it now, um, straight down the center of my brain. But I've had some stroke survivors who I've spoken to and who've been on the show who said that following their stroke, they um, experienced situations where they can no longer cry. Mm-hmm. Um, they have trouble b- basically emoting, really, just yeah. showing any kind of emotion. Happy, you know, oh, yeah. they don't laugh, they don't cry, they don't shed tears, things like that. I know Dr. Parker, you know, a few month, a few episodes ago, and the, people that were listening, I mean, we were blown away. Um, 
a dog, the dog therapy lady came in with one of her cute little fluffy dogs. She actually came to mm-hmm. the door. You didn't see her because the door is behind you, but she stuck her head in and peeked in and saw we were recording. So she mm-hmm. walked away. But um, she wheeled up and just pushed the dog right up to Dr. Parker. And, you know, I was just waiting for him to reach over and pet it. And he freaked out and said, get that dog away from me. I mean, you know, I felt I was like, oh, my gosh, he's afraid of dogs. But then he said, I've I, uh, I've been afraid of dogs since my stroke. He prior to his stroke, he had four dogs and two cats. But once he had his stroke, three cats. Okay, four dogs and three cats. But once he had his stroke, he immediately became afraid of dogs. And I mean, we're talking a little fluffy foo foo dog that came in here. I mean, it wasn't like you know, you know, some big ferocious thing. It was a cute little thing. But he worked through it. But my point is, is that. Um, is that something that as a speech pathologist that you experience, that you see some of those various aspects, not necessarily being afraid of a dog, but not being able to show yeah. emotions and yeah. things like that? Yeah. And actually, it's interesting you say that. Well, not being able to show emotions is also very often part of depression. Mm. You'll see people's affect go flat. Mm-hmm. The tone of their voice goes flat. Mm-hmm. Um just they get very apathetic they don't you know there's no initiation for anything mm-hmm. so i don't know i mean i don't know if it's actually they from just watch that tv yes they just exactly. watch tv yeah mm-hmm. it's i would say i lost my vim and vigor yeah it just kind of disappeared yeah but it's coming back yeah so one one other thing so that's part of depression too one of the things I also want to mention is that anxiety is also common after a stroke. And mm. they're different. They're really different. In what way? They're different biochemically. Mm-hmm. They're treated differently. Different medications are given. So that's something to to be aware of, mm-hmm. um, you know, is to be able to tell your doctor that you have anxiety. People are anxious. It's going to happen again. Now, is this in people who've never had anxiety before? Yeah. Isn't that something? So a stroke can actually... Create an anxiety mm-hmm. disorder. Isn't yes. that something? My goodness. Mm-hmm. I meditated all the time. Oh, you did? You medicated all the time? No, oh, Medi- no you meditated. Oh, you meditated. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because actually that's that's supposed to be helpful in dealing with the anxiety. Yes. Meditation, uh, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, I really support doing all of those things. Well, the other thing is, so you've discussed neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. here. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that you have, if you have depression, you know, you can't do the hard work necessary to make neuroplasticity happen. Mm. The neuroplasticity demands lots of repetition, intense practice. Um, it has to really matter to you. And and if you're depressed, sure. you're, you're not, not going to feel dr- it. You're yeah. going to feel like doing it or, yeah. So wow. that's why it's so important to really get that figured out, get mm-hmm. it cared for so that you have the motivation and mm-hmm. the drive to go through stroke rehab, which now, is hard work. You know, then that brings up an interesting point. Um, right after I had my stroke, uh, I was 
in intensive care for five days at Cedar Sinai, and then they were transferring me, and they did. They transferred me to their rehab hospital, uh, California Rehab Hospital mm-hmm. in uh, L.A., West L.A. Shout out to everybody over there. Um, when I got there, they said, "Okay, well, you know, we're going to give you this medication, you know, to make sure that there's no more bleeding, and mm-hmm. you know, this one to keep your blood pressure down, and then we'd also like to put you on Prozac." And I said, oh, I said, well, I've never been on it. I said, I've never been depressed or anything like that. And they said, well, no, no, we're not going to give it to you for that. It's because um, studies show that if you give Prozac to a stroke patient uh, immediately after a stroke, it will help neuroplasticity start to happen um, at that early juncture. So now I'm bringing this up because I didn't know if you were familiar with that. And, and I didn't know if they were just saying that because they're like, okay, this guy, you know, we're just going to throw him this. We throw everybody on this so they're not freaking out or something. But I Googled it and I encourage everybody to do it. Um, you'll find a ton of articles on how they gave rats a stroke and then they gave them Prozac. And the ones that got the Prozac were the ones that recovered not well i won't say not significantly they did show signs of recovery significantly enough to see that there was some benefit in giving prozac because the the other the 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 study group that they didn't give you know the rats that didn't give it to did not show nearly as much recovery from the stroke so that's how they knew because i was like wow that's really deep and i was reading all these articles on it so i'm only bringing that up to see if that's something that you had heard before well that's Um, really and the connection with what you're saying about neuroplasticity because if you're depressed you're not going to want to and maybe that's what it was you know i don't know you know at, at in my working at care meridian so we see the doctors prescribe and offer um our stroke clients Prozac. I've seen it Mm -hmm. and I see families fight it Mm. because they don't want to take an antidepressant medication because they say, well, he's never needed it before. And I know I've tried to advocate for it um, without even knowing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, a lot of people are not into taking medication. You know, they I'm not a big medication person at all. So when I heard that they wanted to put me on that, I was like, oh, gosh, another medication. You know, I'm taking all these meds yeah, as it is, and exactly. I've never been used to taking it anyway. Um, and, you know, shout out to, to all my listeners that have had to take Prozac even before their stroke, or even if they haven't had a stroke and they're listening. I mean, I get it. Um, the thing that concerned me about it was was that when they said, you know, you're only going to be on it for a couple of months, but you have to be sure that when you are getting off of it, that you can't just stop it. You got to kind of right. step it down and all this stuff. And I'm right. thinking, oh, gosh, wait, now I got to remember that. I'm just trying to learn to walk here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me just get that going. <laughs> you know, I'm just, you know, don't give me one more thing I have to worry about. Um, and because I've never been depressed before stroke or even now, um, I was kind of like, well, I feel okay, but do I feel okay because I'm on Prozac? And when I stop taking this, what am I going to feel like then? Am I, am I going to be like, oh, man, I had a freaking stroke. I am so bummed right now, you know? So anyway, when it did come time to stop taking it and I stopped, I, I didn't even notice that I even stopped. I mean, it's just so I guess as you're sharing, this, this is the reason I'm saying this. Um, I find it interesting that you're making the point about how important it is to get your depression level under control in order to encourage that neuroplasticity to kick in. And then I'm taking that information that you're saying, and then it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe that that makes sense to what they told me a year and 10 months ago now, you know, in terms of the importance of taking Prozac immediately after a stroke. 
and I can see how it must all kind of connect in that way. It does, yeah. I mean, long, long story short, if you're depressed, you're certainly not going to want to have to go and do some exercises to get hands and arms moving again and legs moving again and all that. Right. You're just going to be like, man, this sucks, you know? Right. So I'm just going to... Jody knows this. Um, there will be those that will just refuse to take it. To take any Gina. kind of <laughs> Mark's raising his hand. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just will not take it. Are you speaking from experience? Oh, there, Gina? <laughs> just a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, even at the lowest dose, hmm. Mark just refused, and we know that he needed it. The first five weeks, he didn't want to see anyone. Hmm. He was holed up in the room. Did not want to see anyone. Did not want to speak with mm. anyone. I mean, this was huge. He's an attorney. He lost his voice, mm-hmm. the most important thing. And when I found Jody, you know, we were talking about all of this, and um, she highly recommended, um, as had his doctor, for him to go on some kind of medication for mm-hmm. depression. Mm-hmm. But he just didn't want to take it. And so to that, because there will be people that just refuse to, um, I think... It will fall on the caretaker and the family. <laughs> They're going to pay the price. No, well, yeah, we, we will pay the price. We are going to put it in your ice cream, your uh, <laughs> donuts. We're going to get it. Let in me it. tell you, don't think that we didn't think of that a few mm. times because my daughters were like, just get the pills, <laughs> cut it up, and put it in We cannot food. take that anymore. I can't do that. Yeah. So we didn't. But so it, it falls on us then to find a way to help him out of that depression. And it's taken a while, but I think that. I think that even Jody sees the difference in his yeah. demeanor mm-hmm. from day one. And oh. I think that you see it as well when oh, he first okay. came here. Um, now he'll make jokes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just night and so day. So you finally did get him to start taking it? No. No. no we I'm saying did. we have to find the way I to see. get him out of that depression okay. gotcha. without taking without pills taking because it. he just would never take them. Right. And he, he won't. You know, let me go here and say this, everybody that's listening. You know, I mean if you need to take something, you know what, doggone it, just take it. You know, the goal is to get better at this point, you know, and if a doctor says to you, hey, you know, this is going to help you out in the long run and, you know, help you get things back on track again sooner, quicker, faster, better, you know, all that kind of stuff, you're only doing yourself a favor if you do it. You know, it's not like you're going to have to stay on something forever if you're not a big pill taker, especially if you're, you know, not a big mood altering kind of Uh, pill taker you know so at the end of the day you know if it's a medication that your doctors are telling you is going to help you in the midst of your recovery from your stroke whether it's you know high blood pressure medication whether it's Prozac you know any whatever it is I mean the goal is to get better you know Um, now like in Gina's case let's say you've got a spouse or a loved one who's kicking and screaming what do you do oh boy you know well, I know w- I recommended it several times to Mark. <laughs> I did mention it several times. I tried to talk about the benefits of it. Gina knew. I, I mean, there's really not a lot else I could do at that point. Now, Mark is kind of speaking for the camp of those who say they don't want to do it because he's sitting here with a big smile on his face <laughs> and he has gotten better. So there are going to be those people that say, well, see, you know, Mark, he did OK and he didn't start taking it. But you know, now his family paid the price for <laughs> almost six months of drama and aggravation. But I um, will say mm-hmm. that, Mark, if you had taken the medicine, 
you may have been willing to do more of the heavy lifting and the mm. hard work and the repetition that it takes. Okay. So, I mean, at this point, your speech is pretty clear. Um, there's just, it's more the prosody of Mark's speech now. There's also some, there's a little the bit prosody. of slurry. Describe prosody. So prosody is the intonation. It's the difference between talking like a robot and having no emotion, no intonation mm-hmm, in your mm-hmm, voice mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. your voice going up when you ask a question. How are you? And why does that go away following a stroke? At least in Mark's case or other ones like him. It's it's part of the whole language center, the speech center, prosody language is rhythmic. It's part of English that we we speak, we have our there's intonation. Yeah. We you know, some words like the difference between dessert and mm-hmm. desert. Like the emphasis on the syllable. You yes, know, it's like the emphasis, sure. the intonation mm-hmm. on the syllable, mm-hmm. what your voice does, whether it's a period or, mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. you know, or whether you're saying something in a surprised way mm-hmm. or a sad way. It communicates a lot. But it's interesting that following a stroke, you can still have your speech, but, you but might lose, lose that. that I mean that that's and that's so weird. I mean it's just I mean I stroke is weird first of all. I mean, let's just call it what it is. But just the fact that you can still have very clear speech but lose, but that. lose that ability to know that you're not speaking in you know the right emphasis that you would put on certain syllables, you yeah. know, the emphasis on the syllables, you know, Flat. just things like that. Um it's just really amazing. Um you know I man we could just talk to you forever. So, you know, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, you're going to walk us through all kinds of homework. And I want to ask you this question, and this will be a little something you can answer after the break. Is there ever a point post-stroke that it's that you're just too far post-stroke in order to have any kind of speech improvement? Um, you know, a year, two years, five years, ten years. Is it ever too late to work on getting your speech back to where it was or even close to what it was pre-stroke. So you can answer that uh, when we come back. Okay. Everybody sit tight. We'll be right back. Okay. Hey, this is Christopher Ewing with a Life After Stroke health tip. So if you're a stroke survivor, then I'm sure you know the exact date that you had your stroke, maybe even right down to the exact hour and minute. We're often asked by doctors, therapists, and even loved ones, so when did you have your stroke? So that makes the date kind of hard to forget. But do you know the date when you started to show signs of recovery? like when you were first able to move your leg again or your arm. The times when your brain and body start to show signs of improvement following a stroke are even more important than the day you had your stroke because these are the times when your body is showing you signs that it is actually healing. And it is also a sign that all of your hard work and therapy is paying off. And those times should be celebrated. I call these moments milestones, and one thing I do that I'd like for you to do is to have a milestone journal where you keep track of all the breakthroughs that happen along your journey towards recovery. For instance, in my milestone journal, while it says April 21st, 2018 is when I had my stroke, I can see that it was May 4th, 2018 when my ankle first started to move again, May 9th when I could close my fingers for the first time, May 23rd when I was able to take a few steps on my own unassisted as I was learning to walk again, and so on. It's very easy for us to remember the one terrible day that we had our stroke, but what about all of the awesome days when we noticed signs that we were actually healing and getting better? So here's what I'd like you to do. 
just get a notebook, or I happen to use the Notes app on my phone, and whenever you make a special accomplishment in your recovery, just jot it down, making note of the date, the time, where you were, who was with you, and anything else you want to make note of about that special moment. It's really cool to every now and then just look back and read about some of the breakthroughs or the milestones that you have reached on your road towards recovery from your stroke. We can spend time being bummed about the loss of ability, or we can spend time celebrating the recovery of those abilities as they happen. I say, let's celebrate our recovery and all of the milestones along the way. And if you have a recovery milestone, write us and tell us about it. Just send me an email to mail at thestrokechannel.tv. That's mail at thestrokechannel.tv. And congratulations on your milestones. I'm Christopher Ewing, and this has been a Life After Stroke Health Tip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing. Today, we're broadcasting from Providence St. Joseph's Medical Center, which is home base here in Burbank, California. And we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Jody Dembesser-Gross. She is a certified speech-language pathologist. And um, let's go to the question that I asked you right before the break, which is, no matter how long ago you had your stroke, a year, two years, five years, ten years, is it ever too late to really get your speech back if maybe you've never even worked on your speech let's just say you've just never worked on it and now somebody's listening to this feeling a little kick in the tail like okay i'm gonna really work hard at this um is it ever too late i don't think so because neuroplasticity as as i said neuroplasticity is always going to be uh there i think it gets harder though I think mm-hmm. it gets harder. I think it get, takes more time. I think your speech can improve, but it will take even more time, more effort. Now, let me ask you why that effort and time might be. Is it because you've got so much water under the time bridge that it's like, eh, you know what? Oh, I don't feel, you know, like, are you? is it a motivation thing or is it that your brain has just kind of settled into, it's kind of concrete now, like the cement has kind of dried a little bit or? It's, it's that, well, it depends on what you've been doing all this time. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're doing, if you're coming to support groups, if you've gone back to work, if you are doing what you're doing with this wonderful podcast where you're having to use speech, I think that it's it's never really too mm-hmm. late because mm-hmm. you're continuing to use it. Mm-hmm. If you've been sitting on the couch <laughs> and not interacting with people, I think it's probably, I'm not going to say it's impossible, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. going to be very, very hard. Now, I'm going to give everybody a little look behind my personal curtain here a little bit, and I've shared some with some of uh, friends and some of you in the room at some point, and I shared a little bit with mm-hmm. you just while we were taking a break. Um, as some of you may know, prior to my stroke, you know, I was hosting a TV show and won an Emmy Award and blah, 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 blah. And so when I had my stroke, I was like, okay, you know, my speech was affected, not severely, severely, but significantly enough to where, uh, as you've probably heard me say, when my wheelchair was parked in my um, hospital room when I was in rehab for a month, a little over a month, my speech therapist put a sign on the wall across from my wheelchair and she wanted me to put it, she put it there so I would see it every day. This is her exact words. I'm going to put it right here so you'll look at it and see it every day. And I still have it. I brought it home with me. Um, it said, say more than three word answers, over enunciate everything you say. 
and exhale when you speak because I was doing, and you're nodding your head like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I was doing none of that. I mean, I was literally doing none of that and I was okay with doing none of it. I mean, you know, she'd come in and ask me a question and I'd just give her literally like a one or two word answer. I'd give, try to, I would try to make mm-hmm. my answer be so short because it was just too tiresome to try to talk or explain. And I wasn't nearly talking as much as I'm talking now. Lord knows. I mean, literally not talking at all. But then I started to think, well, shoot, when I get out of here, I got to work. And my work is doing voiceovers and commercials and hosting my radio show, you know, my other show, which is a music show. It's been on for years. So I had to make a living. I was like, I got to get this back together. So I went back to doing my radio show, my music radio show, which I had stopped. Um, but certainly it stopped obviously because of the stroke, but I had to do my shows again, if for no other reason that it was just therapy for me, like speech therapy. Um, and because they're taped, I could take my time if I made a mistake, you know, okay, just do it again. And man, getting back at the, the swing of things was tough. I mean, I couldn't say half of the words I could do. And I, and I was always really quick at doing my takes. I would just pre-stroke. I just bang these things out like nothing. And it would take me 20, 30 minutes sometimes to do just the most simplest stuff. Mm. Um, it's gotten a little easier now because of doing this show, and I don't do a lot of cleanup on this at all. Really, I don't think I'd really do any cleanup. I just, you know, cut out the commercial breaks and stuff. But my point is, is that people will say, boy, you know, it doesn't sound like you had a stroke, you know, because your, your speech is so clear and you talk quick and everything. But as I was sharing with you just during the break, it's every bit of brain power it <clears> takes <throat> for me to sound the way that I sound because... If I wasn't on the air and when I'm not on the air and stuff like that, you know, I stumble, I stutter, I st- like now, you know, I stumble, I stutter, uh, my tongue doesn't get out of the way fast enough. I have to ask you, what the heck is with drool? What in the world is with mm. drool? I have never had more spit in my mouth, you know, <laughs> and Dr. Parker, he's wiping, he's, he good, got your, uh, got your handkerchief. You know, our, 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 our. Uh, salivary glands, are they like paralyzed a little bit as to why it seems like there's so much spit in our mouth? Well, we lose a lot of the sensation in our mouth. So you don't even realize it, but when your mouth gets full of saliva, you're swallowing it down. But it just seems like I've had so much more saliva post-stroke than I ever had pre-stroke. It's probably because you can't feel it. And and you're not remembering to swallow it. Okay. But I hmm. actually have something that works with about 60 to 70% of the population for that. Ooh, do tell, do tell. So if you take an electric toothbrush mm-hmm. and turn it on and you stroke from the back of your tongue down the center mm-hmm. like 10 times, then you go inside your mouth and you stroke from the back of your cheeks to the front. So mm-hmm. it's always from the posterior to the on anterior. On your gums, on the outside between your cheek and your gum? On the inside of your cheeks. Okay, got it. And you do it on the tongue 10 times, right cheek 10 times, left cheek 10 times. How many times a day? Try doing that three times a day. Mm-hmm. And over two to three weeks, you should see that decrease. Ooh. It's good. Um, now, like, like I said, this is this is very effective for about sixty to seventy mm-hmm. percent. It doesn't work for everybody. I don't know why. That's okay. And for those that it does but work with, why does it work? What is it actually doing? What you're actually doing, you're stimulating the nerve endings, the sensory nerve endings on the tongue and inside the cheek. So that you remember 
to swallow. Mm. So are you waking up those nerve endings? Yeah. Are you kind of putting them back on fire again? Is that Yes, okay. you are. They need to be stimulated mm-hmm. over and over again. So now I'm going to go back about three minutes when I said... Is it ever too late to wake those back up? Do they ever just kind of, are they kind of Rip Van Winkle? They're just kind of waiting to wake up or are they just beyond waking up? Um, if you've been doing drooling and like for how long? Like, I don't know, let's say, let's say, you know, somebody just heard you point this out and they had a stroke five years ago and they're like, man, I've been like drowning in drool. Or 10 years, Dr. Parker says, hey, how about 10 years? So, for instance, Dr. Parker. Now, let's say Dr. Parker says, hey, look, I've been drooling for 10 years. Man, this is great information. This is awesome. Could it benefit someone that's had a stroke 10 years You know, it could. You know, I'm not, I really don't have a good answer for that. Mm. I guess it can't hurt. But it it can hurt. You should definitely try it and see if it if that works for you. And it you know, might. Jody, I want to say something to your defense where if you say, well, you know what? I don't know. Um, when yeah. I was in rehab, I noticed that when I said to my uh, uh, OT, I said, you know, hey, you know what? And I was like, like two weeks post stroke, you know, week and a half. I was like, hey, you know what? What am I going to look like six months from now, like a year from now? And she said, I don't know. And I, and I looked at her, I was kind of like, well, wait, you're the therapist. How do you not know? But here's the thing. She said, you know, when we get you guys in, we get you like two days post stroke, three days post stroke. And then if you've got halfway decent insurance, we're lucky to have you two weeks. Oh, yeah. And then we don't see you anymore. We won't see, you know, unless we run into you at Walmart or something, we don't ever see you again. So we don't know what you guys look like a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. They have nothing to compare it to. So, you know, to kind of your defense, not that I need to defend you, but, you know, to ask you, you know, hey, you know, could it help with someone 10 years post-stroke? You may not see these people because, again, you're never going to see them. If insurance says you are no longer (laughs) to talk to this person ever again, (laughs) you know, no, you can't know them anymore. Good old insurance kicks in. You have nothing to compare it to. And that's sad because I really think that therapists really, really need to see us as much as possible. I know. and So that you guys kind of know what it looks like five years, years 10 years down the line. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I really, really, I have had a few patients come back. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen that at Care Meridian on a few, on a few occasions. But all of that is shaped by, you know, how supportive was the caregiver? Mm. How much time did the person put into their rehab? Um, there are some acute rehab places like the Center for Neuroskills, Rancho mm-hmm. Los Amigos, Casa Colina, that have excellent very intense uh, rehab where you're going to therapy three times, three hours a day, five days a week, and seeing a counselor. Mm -hmm. And you have to be really willing to participate in that. And I have to add California Rehab to that list because that's where I was sent and that's what I got. Rehab Center. I I got, you know, three, four hours a day, five days straight, you know, and it was intense. So if you have, if you're lucky enough... Again, to have insurance that pays for this kind of rehab, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to have a much better prognosis, a Mm -hmm. better outcome. Um, 
What and, can somebody do if they don't know? And this is where I, you know I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot because I'm going to want you to really become a part of the Stroke Channel TV. Um, for those of you that you know listen to the show, you know we've got the Stroke Channel TV, which is now on Roku and on Amazon Fire TV. And my goal with that is to be able to offer you know, the rehab and therapy on television. So for mm. people who no longer have insurance or don't have a ride to get to, you know, therapy and stuff like that, they can click on television and click on speech therapy and up will pop a video of, of Jody saying, hi, everybody, I'm going to help you say your ABCs oh, or something like that. So I'm putting her on the spot. So now everybody, if you don't see her, it's because she said no after we got off the show. <laughs> and so you write her and tell her, how dare you not want to come on Christopher's new TV channel to help us speech wise. Um, but my point is, is that what can someone do who just doesn't have access to therapy anymore? I mean, until the Stroke Channel, you know, has all these great videos um, on it. But what do you do? Well, okay. So there are lots of apps. Mm-hmm. There are, thank God for technology, Amen. there are lots of apps out there that you can do. You have to be very regimented mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use those apps. Um I always try when I'm discharging a client to give them a packet of things and recommendations mm-hmm. so that they can continue on their own. And I always tell, you know, all my patients are welcome to call me if they want to come back and get more stuff mm-hmm. or some direction as to what which way to go with mm-hmm. rehab stuff. Um, because really, you are out there alone. Exactly. exactly. You, I mean, you can come back. You can try to seek out um, someone that's in private practice. Mm-hmm. A- and the hard part of that is that there aren't a lot of medical speech pathologists. Mm-hmm. I call myself a medical speech pathologist. It seems like the greater chunk of those that graduate the, the program uh, go into working with kids, they're school-based. And, you know, the reason with that, of course, it all goes back to money. Mm-hmm. The school districts offer better pay, mm-hmm. benefits. Right. When you graduate those programs, most of those graduates are in their probably late 20s. Mm-hmm. They're getting engaged. They're mm-hmm. thinking of starting a family. And then you want a schedule that will work sure. with having with that kids. New lifestyle, sure. And so, and so a lot of them go for that. Um, we have young clinicians in our office because mm-hmm. I do supervise some of them. And a lot of them are terrified of adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what else. They're just, they're terrified. They feel like they don't have the life experience yeah. to offer. They wouldn't understand. They haven't had kids. They haven't raised kids. Um, and so they're, they're, they're frightened. Yeah. Well, as you can tell, Jody's awesome. And everybody, <laughs> keep watching our Roku channel and our Amazon Fire TV channel, you know, the Stroke channel on those uh, platforms, because that's the goal is to have therapists like Jody and uh, OTs and PTs as well that will be doing exercises on the channel that you guys will be able to um, access at home for free and all that kind of good stuff. Um, Dr. Parker, you had a question hmm. or a comment. Uh, uh, I was in Huntington Hospital for 48 days. Mm. I think the bill 
was about 600,000. Uh, my portion of the bill was under 10,000. You had good insurance. Good insurance, yes. yes. Uh, I, I think I had good insurance. Uh, when I was released from the hospital, Amy Bone, uh, the OT person, person uh, uh, the PT person, all took me on for six months. Oh, that's great. For free? Or yeah. Oh wow. God bless them. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, 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 I think at the end of six months, uh, the insurance ran out. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's great. That's great. You know, Jody. Um, let's get into this. Um, okay. Let's kind of give us some homework here. So let's say. Okay. Uh, we're a stroke survivor, you know, we're like, man, you know, I know I really do need to kind of get, you know, the speech thing worked out. What are some things that a stroke survivor can do to work on their speech and their language? So first of all, make some goals, focus Mm -hmm. on your goals, try to find, if you can, a silver lining in the cloud. Mm, Like what? What do you mean? Mm a silver lining some any positive thing like oh well i have time to pursue this or i can like an activity anything yeah Mm -hmm. anything positive that you can grab i know it's pretty hard but if you can try to find some some silver lining a hobby an activity um, that you're able to still do. And maybe preferably if it's around other people mm-hmm. too. So oh, that yeah. you, you're forced to have to engage in some amount of conversation. Yes. That, okay. That would be an, a thing. Um, mm-hmm. As much as you can, that was my next thing, is be social. Mm. Please be social. Well, and as you said, that's tough for people. And you know what else? Go back if you belong to a church mm-hmm. or are you, you know, a faith. I, I, I don't know if there's time. I want to tell you a remarkable story. Uh, we got time. Okay. So I have a patient that I've been working now with. You know, I'm a crier. Okay. Yeah, so this is going to okay. make me cry. Right. This is going to make you cry. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I have a gentleman uh, at Care Meridian. He had a crushing brain injury 27 mm. years ago. And he lost everything. He Mm. is blind. He is completely paralyzed from the neck down. Well, and actually even a little higher than that, he has a feeding tube, a tracheostomy, tracheotomy. Um, All he can do, he has his receptive language. He cannot talk at all. Um, He can blink his eyes. So when you say receptive language, he can understand he can what's understand, being spoken. So yes. he can receive the information. And mm-hmm. the only way he can respond to the information he gets is by blinking his eyes. Mm. So for six years, I've been his speech therapist. And I visit him four times a week. And I read him stories. I play him music. I... Uh, 
I give him sometimes things to touch, although he doesn't have much sensation either. Um, and I'll get it, the sounds he makes are vegetative, but he'll he'll go ah, and he'll I can ask him yes no questions and one long blink for yes, two blinks for no, and we have whole conversations this way. And he, um, I dearly love this man. He is a very religious Jehovah's Witness. And the ladies from the church come and they re- pray with him. And I have, I have pamphlets um, from the Jehovah's Witness. So I read, the, we do everything from reading the Bible to Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dichotomy for you. <laughs> How do you get there? Well, I'll from tell there. you. Okay. So he said, so the man, I have a lot of background on him from mm, his family. Mm. Been married three times. Um, quite a player in his That's day. That's where the Fifty Shades of Grey comes from. That's where Fifty see. Shades mm-hmm. of Grey comes. I also know that he was quite a surfer in mm. his day. And so I play surfing videos. How old is he, did you say? He's now in his, how old is he? 57, Oh my gosh, he's young. He's young. Oh my gosh. And the stroke happened 27 years ago. Oh my gosh, he was really young. Yeah. Did they say why it happened so young? He's a construction worker. So he was just working a workaholic and... Uh, no, he took you know. a bad fall oh. and his head was crushed. Oh, so it wasn't really a neck. stroke stroke. It no, was a, this was a traumatic, was a traumatic brain, brain injury. injury. Yeah. Okay, okay. And so... Wow. And so um, he's like my source of strength. Whenever I'm feeling down mm. or thinking like, woe is me, I just think of my guy over there. Well, how, how special are you though to, <laughs> you just say for four years you've been going over five days a week? I go six, I've been there six years with wow. him. I go four times a week. Jody. He's stable. He doesn't really, I mean, you know, the only reason I go is to keep his because cognition you're awesome. intact. Yeah. Because she's awesome, that's why. Oh, my gosh, Um, Jody! But I I adore this man, and so whatever happens, I mean, I'll continue to go see him. Wow. So for Valentine's Day, I'm playing love songs. There you go. And talking to him, and I have a chocolate seas lollipop Mm. I can at least rub on his tongue. Oh, my gosh. So he has a little bit, so. (sighs) Wow. Wow. That's so the point I was making is that faith, if you're a person who has strong faith, um, they know that faith helps us to live longer. There's a lot of studies out about the power of of religion, actually. All right, now, John, do we need to hold church in here, John? John's father and my father are both pastors, uh, churches, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, we don't. We, we will leave that alone. We'll save that for another show. Yeah. Don't worry, Doctor Parker. You're okay. <laughs> So I just throw that out, you know. I was kid about Dr. Parker being an atheist. I love you anyway. Yeah. Jesus loves you too. But or maybe you can find something else you yeah. have faith in. I don't know, but it's it. It just seems to uh, work for him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, spirituality. 
spirituality, some force, universal force, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. But now going back to what yeah. you were saying is, is to find an activity, especially something that is involving other people, yes. will encourage you to yeah. interact. And, and certainly, you know, again, you know, people, especially after a stroke, especially if they're new, newly after their stroke, may feel very self-conscious about speaking with someone. I mean, Dr. Parker is 10 years in and he says he still doesn't like to talk to people. Um, choose family friends. I mean, certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but choose family, close friends. They all get it. They love you. You know, they know if it's going to take you 20 minutes to get two words yeah. out, they're okay. I mean, they love you. So, you know, don't isolate yourself like That's you were saying. That's the biggest yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Don't isolate. I'll even take, I, I had two, I have a lot of stroke clients in my practice, but I have one lady that's had two strokes, and then I had another lady who I saw as a home health client, and I offered, you know, hey, how about if we all three meet at Starbucks, and I'll introduce the two of you. There you go. They didn't even have the confidence to do that. Oh, boy. So. What do you do about that? What, What can you... You know, talk to somebody because, I mean, we're heard all around the world and I'm sure there's somebody who's listening who is exactly one of those ladies. I mean, they're like, hey, I'm with them. I wouldn't do it either. Talk to them. Um, is you, you, you've got to take a you've got to take a step, um, <clears throat> even if it's just one to one. Um, you can have a loved one come, a loved one come and be sort of a mediator so mm-hmm. that if the lang, you know, they both had very severely impacted speech and I tried to help, you know, I was willing to help them, uh, speak, you know, use, use techniques mm-hmm. and, um, get their point across Mm -hmm. use anything you you can you know if you if you're able to write if you're able to use a text Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. whatever it is um so that you can be social because that's how language it's the only way speech and language you're gonna improve sure sure. is by being social because that's what it's about so let me um also say this to you um because the word that you used which was techniques um, give us some techniques that someone can do at home, whether they can do it by themselves or maybe with the help of a caregiver. What is something, you know, is it like rolling the tongue? Is it, you know, something that will kind of stimulate speech and language? Well, and- there's exercises like we can all do these now if yeah, you let's want. Do it. Let's okay, do it. so let's do it. we can warm Mark, up. Grab that microphone over there since you're going to dance with the one that brung you. Don't point to your <laughs> wife, Gina. This is your speech therapist over here. Now we're going to do it and you're going to be the, the guinea pig over here. Okay. okay, so we can start with the vowel sounds because they're super important. If, if your vowels are clear, mm-hmm. then you will likely be understood. So you take a deep breath before you speak. A E I O U, and you want to, of course, repetition matters. Okay. So you want to continue working with that, and when you do it, you want to open your mouth wide when you speak, as wide as you can. You want to always slow your speech way down and really tapping out each 
syllable because you're trying to make every sound count clearly. Now, that's going back to the beginning of the show when you talked about tapping. Can we tap our own hand? Because like you said, you would tap someone's hand kind of for them. Well, that was part of the melodic intonation therapy. So is this tapping the same kind of this, thing you're talking about? This is, this is, you can just be tapping the table. Tapping the table. For okay, this. gotcha. Um, and then you want to really move your lips a lot. So think about you're in a quiet room. You're in a very, very noisy room, like at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And your friend's across the table and you want to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you want to communicate. Let's go. And, and <laughs> the only way they're going to get the message mm-hmm. is if by reading your lips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you want to use your mouth as if you're, you know, really intense lip reading. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. they can read what you're trying to mm-hmm. say. Moving your mouth, moving your lips will help the sound come out clearer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I remember that exercise from being in rehab. And the thing that I've noticed about my own speech is that sometimes my tongue feels heavy, mm-hmm. um, like it won't get out of the way quick enough. Sometimes uh, that type of thing. Yeah. Still. And then here, here's another uh, kind of a drill that you could do. So you can take a consonant. Let's say the the bilabial consonants that we say with our lips, these are the first ones a baby learns is ba 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 with a B. Ba 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 as and keep doing it until you that quickly fast if you can. If you can't do it, ba 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 works. No, oh, look at your little show off. Pick up that mic. Come on, show it off. But go on, do what you got to do, Mark. Pick it. And that's really improved. Pass it down to Dr. Parker. Dr. Parker, give it a little go. This is good exercise. This is good. This is good. Dr. Parker. Ba, 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 ba. See, I can't. Yeah, So we're not doing Nate. No cans in my room. We are no cans in my room. Good. And so, Jody, through constant repetition, you can get that quicker than the more you train yourself. John, give it a go. Put everybody on the spot here. Look at you, little show off. Okay. Okay. I don't know what that, but I had help. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's all right. John used to be a used to be in the army. He lieutenant colonel, and he was in PR. He was the PR rapping stuff and so uh i uh generals and stuff like that and now nothing yeah it's all right you're (laughs) our guy now um um i got the wood badge award for scouts that's awesome so cool and that was good for me to do for um get getting it done yeah. John, do you recall any exercises that really helped you? Um, n- not not now, no. Um, no specific ones. I did them all. Yeah, right. And mm-hmm. and I I did them all and 
Right. That's good stuff. Though. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So the buh, 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 buh thing is one. Um, so you go through the B and the P because we say those with our lips. Mm-hmm. What did you call those? Bi- Bilabial. Bilabial. Labial is the Latin mm-hmm. word for lip. Okay. And then the tongue is a, is a crucial one. Mm. So that one, T, is frequently occurring in English. So t t t t t Ooh, I don't know if I can do that one now. Wait a minute. <laughs> or start out with... Okay. Okay. You know the thing I have found, too, and people that have listened to the show have heard me say this. I've had to think where that is. You know, it's like when I was going through PT in, in the rehab hospital, they said, okay, Christopher, move your foot. And I looked at him. I was like, okay. And I'm looking at him like, okay, it's moving. And he's looking at me like, mm, it's not no, moving. It's not. And I'm like... What do you mean it's not? Yeah, it is. And he goes, no. And I looked down and I mean, in my brain, that sucker was flipping like a dolphin. And I looked, it wasn't moving an inch. Um, And just now when you said do the TTT thing, I had to really think, okay, where is that at? You know, it's like you're looking Uh into your brain trying to find where that's at. So when I try to work with people, one thing you can do is give yourself a target. So if you take like a little bit of peanut butter, a little bit of Nutella, mm-hmm. honey, whatever your thing is, I see. you put it right behind the teeth on that little bumpy ridge because mm-hmm. w- that's what the tip of the tongue is contacting. I see. So if you can do that, you know that your tongue is, if you can taste it, if you can taste what you You've put hit there, the target, sure. That you hit the target. Mm-hmm. So that's one way, one thing I have my clients do. How do you do that? Put honey or, or no, do no. the tongue. Uh. T- t- my tongue's going right up behind my front teeth. T- yeah, so. t- can, your, can your tongue feel a little bumpy ridge behind yes. your front teeth? That's where it needs to go. I, I, I feel that bumpy ridge. Behind my teeth, but I can't say it. Like when you just said teeth, it's t- it's there. T- it's there. Mm. T- t- say t-, t. Say teeth, Doctor Parker. Can you say teeth? Teeth. There you go. There you go. you did it. it. You did it. Uh, but, uh, 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 I didn't touch my. Oh, I see what you're saying. He didn't touch the back of his front teeth when he said it. Oh, okay. Where, where, where are you touching? Say it again. Say teeth again. Teeth. 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 Oh, interesting. So some people, one strategy is to bring the tongue down a little bit. So it's more like a Spanish T where the tongue is coming more like right behind the teeth. The both teeth close a little bit mm-hmm. lower. Mm-hmm. That might be easier because lifting the tongue is hard for people after a stroke. And, you know, I guess, you know, 10 years in, he's developed a new way of of saying his T's That's now. That's right. So, you know, he's kind of saying it his way. Right. And if that th- that's the way that works, that's the way to do mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Dr. Parker, it hasn't stopped you from writing them awesome books. I tell you that. <laughs> Dr. Parker, you can read one before we leave. But... um Wow. So, okay. So what else? This is awesome. So then there's some back sounds. Uh, well, the other tongue sounds for the front are t, d, n, 
la those the la la so t d n n l are mm. all difficult um so then after that there's g g and k k the mm-hmm. k the g and the mm-hmm. k let me let me go here and um and again we're going to have a lot of this information on the stroke channel.tv website for people that are having trouble reading um mm. is that a whole other kind of ball of wax when it comes to your your field well i mean that's it's a common side effect of stroke yeah. um some people get dyslexia yes. the letters get turned around mm. and and then there's um spelling issues um so reading is hard for reading instance hard. i've noticed that there are some people whose reading is not all that great but they can text great they can type out words um maybe their speech isn't the best but they can type it out and it just yeah. makes perfect sense so with reading you know uh, reading at the very simple word level to practice just like the kindergarten. words um uh te- you know well i think mark you you use the the speech dictation you don't actually type out what you want to say you just speak it yeah Hmm. Yeah. So you can use technology. Yeah. Now, for someone who's had a stroke that has had trouble reading, um, you know, after their stroke, what are some things that they can use to try to get stronger reading skills again? Well, there's reading programs, for example, and something that also helps is that you can take a piece of paper and just cut a small slit so you're just seeing one word mm-hmm. at a time. I don't know if that would help you. I see. You're isolating the word because sometimes it just gets all jumbled on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, you can... You can if you can say the letters out loud and and then try to actually say the word. Hmm. If it's comprehension, reading yourself one sentence out loud and then ask yourself what, where, asking yourself some questions. We call them WH questions. Mm-hmm. What, where, when, why mm-hmm. to help comprehension it Hmm. depends on where the reading problem is Hmm. yeah i've just you know i've met several um stroke survivors who have said either immediately following their stroke or even well into their stroke um you know some of them are still having trouble reading yeah even though they can speak clearly and you know as clear as possible but when they look at the printed page it just Waves, it isn't happening. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't it's just happen. Not happen. Yeah, it's not happening. So just another quick little aside, um, always important to get your eyes checked. It mm-hmm. may, your eyeglass, if you wear them, prescription might change. Yeah, often change after changes the stroke. after the stroke. Mm-hmm. In some cases, I've had people's hearing change after mm. the stroke too. So you want to make sure that all of that's mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm. Um, and frequently it's not, it gets overlooked it's mm-hmm. not mentioned. How can a caregiver come into play too 
with kind of helping a loved one like Gina, you know, helps Mark oh with his God. reading and things like that. Um, I'm sure it's very instrumental to have that kind of help and support if you can get it. And what are some things that a caregiver can do to kind of help them? Gina's amazing. Yes, she Gina's is. Gina's made we so Gina. <laughs> many um, additional worksheets, and especially with legal mm-hmm. vocabulary, because that's sort of occupation-specific, and mm-hmm. I don't have access to that. So try to give the caregiver, support them, and remind them that they need to practice, support them in the, you know, how repetitious it is. Should a caregiver Um, get like flashcards to work with? Well, always remember, make sure you get some homework programs from the speech therapist to do, Mm -hmm. or at least recommendations of what to do. Mm -hmm. So definitely ask the caregiver if, if, if you can't actually ask the caregiver should ask how, what can they do at home Mm -hmm. and then get more. Um, Very often the caregiver can provide the speech therapist with um, information that's important about what the likes and dislikes, interests, hobbies are, Mm -hmm. because just some of the stuff out of the workbooks that we use isn't, that's not going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. But something that you can personalize, help the speech therapist to personalize the material Mm -hmm. is great, because then it's got more interest. They might be more motivated. Sure, sure. Wow. Wow. Wow, this is so good. And also encourage the caregivers to go out and do something nice for themselves because caregivers burn out. Yeah. Caregivers need support. And that's really, really important. Well, and I was going to ask you that, you know, as we kind of wind up here, uh, give everybody a little word of advice. And certainly you can speak from a lot of different areas. I mean, you can obviously speak from a speech uh, therapist, but also as a caregiver, uh, you know, to your parents and things like that. Um, Start with, let's start with, uh, well, give us, let's start with the caregiver since we're talking about it. you well, know, give there, some word of advice to your fellow caregivers out there. That, there uh, are caregiver support groups mm-hmm. um, that are out there. Um, even if it's, you know, a friend on Facebook, someone to talk to, to share your feelings with, try to get other family involved to help you so that you can at least get a day, a week where you're off Mm -hmm. so that it's a shared responsibility and not all on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um, And it could be anything. I mean, a lot of caregivers tend to be women. So go, even if it's just going to get a Starbucks coffee, Mm -hmm. getting your nails done, Mm -hmm. um, taking a nice walk, uh, Go see a movie by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, anything like yeah. that. Well, just some quiet time. Sure. Take care of yourself because you're not going to do any good for anybody. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you're not taking care of yourself. So, Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Sure. Walks in nature, you know, are always really, really nice. Go to a park, go to a botanical garden. Um, 
I know when I went through graduate school, it was the most stressful thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> and there was, thank God, CSUN has a beautiful um, garden mm. that's near where my building was. And I would just go out there and sit and look at the fountain and look at the fish. And, <laughs> and just even a few minutes of that was helpful right, just to right. get away sure, from the stress sure, of it. Sure. And to the stroke survivor who is listening right now, who hasn't been kind of doing their verbal homework, uh, hasn't been really diligent at really, mm-hmm. or maybe, you know, it's not even their own fault. Maybe they just don't have a therapist or someone to kind of kick them in the tail. Um, give them um, a little word of advice. You know, to try to understand the position that the um, stroke survivor is in, um, <coughs> Their life's been turned upside down, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it it really causes the whole family system to go upside down and inside out to be patient. Um, you know, you, yeah, you have needs, but, you know, remember that that other person has needs. I have had so many um, clients. I had one gentleman pick up his walker and throw it at his wife in my Mm. office just because there's so much anger that comes Mm. with the depression Mm. and I could see she ran out she had tears um (laughs) you know so these Mm -hmm. things come up um so just to be empathetic that it's you know you're in you're suffering no doubt about it but so is your caregiver don't forget your caregiver's suffering. Speak to the the stroke survivor who's trying to get their speech together and hasn't uh, worked real hard in the past at it. What uh, what little word of advice can you leave them with? Well, you know, I would encourage you to keep keep up your program, but also to know there is augmentative uh, speech devices. And so this year, no, not this year, last year, last year, I've got four of my clients' um, speech generating devices. Mm. So I, you know, then my job becomes teaching them how to program it so for their individual needs. Mm-hmm. So I might have mentioned that I had a lady that had um, two strokes, it was a very difficult situation. I got her a speech generating device and little by little, the agreement, we made a contract between hmm. us and, and that was every week she has to try one new place to go. Oh. Whether it's going to order a coffee at Starbucks, whether it's going to get her nails done, whether it's going to the library around the corner. Hmm. And then using the speech device i wanted her to sort of take note what what phrases that came up did she need to know how to use that 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 she couldn't say herself wow so then when she would come in i would talk to her about her experience and then i would there's on this particular device that i like to get for people there's quick phrases hmm. so and you can put menus on there and you can put all manner of things on this device um and then at least it's hard to have a conversation 
because conversations flow so quickly. But you can at least get out and you can introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. You could take an exercise class. You could, huh? It speaks for you. It speaks wow. for you. That's if wonderful. your speech disorder is so severe that you cannot get it, mm-hmm. um, then you have to consider yeah. an augmentative device. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I usually will go to. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has just been really, really awesome. Um, is uh, g- Tell everyone about how they can get in touch with you if they have any questions. Maybe Let me ask you this uh, mm. before, we, before we go. Do you ever do any therapy or consultations with people via the phone or computer? I mean, if, you know, we've got listeners all around the world. Can they somehow connect with you if they live in Germany or wherever? You know, yeah, I, I don't speak German. <laughs> I, I, I'm That's unfortunately right. Deutsch, but monolingual. No, I, yeah, I get it. That's okay. Um, but... Yeah, they could call me. Um, absolutely, my or they could email me. Um, okay. And it's on the top. So yeah, we'll have that information handouts. on the uh, on the strokechannel.tv website, and right. um, people can connect with you. And uh, I just thank you. First of all, Jody, you're awesome. Gina, mm-hmm. thank you so much for uh, making this happen. Gina and Mark are the ones that invited uh, Mark's uh, speech therapist to come, with who is Jody, and uh, we are just so glad to have her here. Um, we've been speaking with Jody Dembiser Gross. Oh, congratulations. Uh, oh, I'm working no on it. Jody Debrisser Gross. Right. Uh, she is a certified speech language pathologist and just an all around awesome, awesome mm-hmm. lady. And I'm going to do everything I can, you guys, to recruit her and get her on the Stroke Channel so that uh, maybe we can put her on television <laughs> all around the world and have her oh, uh, help goodness. all of you guys that uh, need uh, all of us. Yeah, I need it too, Lord knows, uh, to help all of us stroke survivors who, uh, you know, or just working at our speech situation, you would be so awesome, Jody. It really, we're going to talk after the, after the show because I really would love for you to be a part of it. I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, this is just a project that is so part of my my heart and my whole uh, you know thing here. Just really wanting to put together something that will benefit stroke survivors all around the world. Yeah, you know, almost all of us have TVs in our house, and so uh, the Stroke Channel on Roku and on Amazon Fire TV, I think. It's just a great platform that people can use and access. So I wanted to just mention, so nobody here probably knows this, but in speech therapy, there is something exciting that is going to be happening. Telepractice. Yes. Yeah. Telemedicine is a big deal right now. And that right now it's being used uh in pediatrics. Mm-hmm. It's being used here at the hospital too. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So I think there's just a couple of wrinkles in terms of um, licensing. Mm-hmm. California, you know, every state has its own licensing requirements. And so if I'm broadcasting from California, can I talk to people legally? Mm-hmm. And help them in Nevada, Oregon, mm-hmm. or wherever they may be. And that so that I know our national association is still trying to iron out some mm-hmm. of these wrinkles. Mm-hmm. What Jody's talking about is called telemedicine. I know that they do it here in the hospital. I've got a kind of a standing uh, invitation to go downstairs and videotape one of the doctors down there. We've just had to uh, catch him at a time when it's not going to involve HIPAA and all that other kind of stuff. But it's basically where you could be in any part of the world and have a consultation with a doctor via this television robot. It's kind of like a 
it's kind of like a like a like a television monitor on wheels mm. and they wheel it up to your bed and you can talk to a doctor wherever they're at and they could be a specialist they could be whatever it's kind of like super skype you know it's kind of like wow. that kind of thing and there's a doctor here in the hospital that does it downstairs and i've talked to him and we've been talking about uh, having a camera go down there and you know videotape him doing his thing where he's meeting with patients that are in other parts of the country so we're, uh-huh The neurologist on call examined mm-hmm. him because mm-hmm. he was at home right and wow. it was through one of these monitors wow. and so I'm telling him exactly what's going on but it's right that's exactly what it is it was on wheels wow. it was a monitor wow. and he's at home sure examining well and it's even going mobile uh, a very good friend of mine uh, who I'm sure many of you have heard of uh, Montel Williams the talk show host he had a hemorrhagic stroke a few years ago and fortunately, he was in New York City when it happened, and the ambulance that responded to the call actually was a mobile kind of CAT scan unit type of thing on wheels. And for a stroke survivor, that's awesome because, yeah. you, you know, with him, especially having a hemorrhagic stroke, they knew immediately not to give him TPA. So that door to needle time that you'll hear doctors talk a lot about where the time that it takes for you to get out of your house and get to the hospital is cut down significantly if they're able to use yeah. that travel time as some real productive time, which is when they can determine what kind of stroke you're having. You know, you don't have to wait till you get to the hospital and then they wait till they get you right. into the CAT scan to find out you're having a hemorrhagic stroke. They can know it as soon as they wheel you out of the house and put you in the ambulance. They'll know right away. So they're even using that type of technology where once you get into that ambulance, you're now looking at a screen of a doctor who is now looking at you while you're driving down the road, you're now having a CAT scan done, and they're like, oh, you've got a brain bleed. Now the doctor's literally looking at you in the back of the ambulance, telling you, okay, you're having a hemorrhagic stroke, so no, we can't give you TPA. Or he's saying, okay, I see the results here. As you guys are driving, here, give him some TPA, and you know we'll see you when you get here. So it really, you know, as you said, technology is really changing things. Um, the other thing that I'll add is, and I didn't mention this, and I don't know if I was going to mention, but depending on when you listen to this show, I will be at the International Stroke Conference, which is the super duper mega uh, stroke conference. It's the biggest stroke conference in the world. It's not open to the public. Um, there's just doctors from all around the world that come to this thing, and I was uh, given press passes because of the Stroke Channel to come. And uh, a few days ago, I was contacted by the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association and asked if I would speak at their luncheon next Wednesday. So I'll be doing that. But I'm, So I'm saying this because while I'm there, I'm going to be able to speak with a lot of these doctors and researchers. And I think it's just going to be a great time to really find out what the heck is going on in the world of stroke now. Some of these new things that are out there and stuff like that. So be sure to tune in over the next couple of weeks because we're going to have you know all kinds of interviews and everything from the conference next week. Um, and hopefully be able to interview a lot of big doctors and all kinds of people that are kind of making a difference in the strokes world. Well, Jody, thank you so much for coming on the show. And everybody listening, we're going to make sure that we have information uh, as to how you can get in touch with Jody on the strokechannel.tv website. And uh, so there you go. And everybody, as always, thank you so much for listening. We love you guys. We're here for you guys. And until next time, remember, there is still a beautiful life after stroke. This has been a recorded program of an actual stroke support group. The comments expressed are the opinions of the participants and not necessarily the opinions of the producers, sponsors, or the broadcasters of this show.
This program is not to be used as a way to diagnose or treat any medical condition that you may have. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional before making any changes to your current medical routine. Life After Stroke is a production of the Hang On to the Dream Foundation, the 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps kids and adults reach their goals in life. If these Life After Stroke programs are helpful to you, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Hang On to the Dream Foundation to assist the organization in its numerous outreach activities. For more information, just go to www.hangontothedream.org. And remember, no matter how hard things seem, hang on to the dream.